Beloved of God, I bring you a word of grace and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the first week of July, and freedom is in the air. I see some of you in your freedom clothing this morning. The Freedom Fair is getting going down on Ruston. We're singing freedom songs in worship today. And judging from the newspaper ads that I've seen, there are lots of freedom sales going on. I don't exactly know what discount mattresses have to do with the 4th of July, but apparently there's a connection there. As a nation, we go all out for this celebration, parades, uh, fireworks. It's an extroverted holiday for sure. But it's also a fitting time for some introspection, time to reflect on ideals and values that we hold dear, like liberty and justice. It's time to think about what we mean when we speak of freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom for what? For what purpose? We find some of these same questions addressed by Paul in his letter to the Romans, which we'll be reading throughout the summer now in worship. Paul, of course, wasn't thinking as much about civil liberty but about the liberty we have as Christians, the freedom that is ours in Christ. In Christ you have been freed from sin, Paul wrote. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, for sin will have no dominion over you. In our text today, you probably noticed Paul using this metaphor of slavery Joined to Christ, you are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I think in this day and age, it's almost impossible to put a positive spin on slavery, even if it is slavery to righteousness. So I'm not sure how well this metaphor works for us. But it was Paul's way of proclaiming to the Christians in Rome that the dominion of sin had been broken by the faithfulness of God and the righteousness of Christ. It's a wonderful promise, a hopeful promise, to be freed from sin. But could it possibly be true? When I look around our world, I listen to the news, it seems like sin is still very much alive and kicking. Evidence of it is found in our broken relationships, in our damaged communities, in our divided nations, in the creation that's groaning in travail. And I'm aware that sin is not just something out there. I'm aware of its presence in my own life. How often I miss the mark. How often I fail to trust God and love my neighbor as myself. So I wonder about Paul's words. You have been freed from sin Is this an aspirational statement, like for liberty and justice for all? An ideal that we strive for with little hope of attaining? I don't think so. In the sixth chapter of Romans in particular, it is not a lofty ideal that Paul declares, but a new reality a new reality that's brought into being by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We become part of it, Paul says, through baptism. Now this is where the metaphor of slavery might be a little bit useful. Slavery is a matter of possession, of belonging to another. 
In baptism, we are claimed by Christ. We belong to him. This doesn't mean that we no longer sin, but it does mean that sin is no longer our master. It cannot possess us or define us because we belong to Christ. Our primary identity comes from him. This relationship with Christ defines our past and our present and our future. We live with the consequences of sin every day, but it has no dominion over us because there is nothing more powerful than the mercy of God shared with us in Christ. I think that's Paul's point. It's funny, when I studied the book of Romans in seminary, it was always presented as Paul's magnum opus, a theological treatise that capped his career as an apostle. And I understand why it's studied in that manner. Paul uses these big words like justification and sanctification, words on which entire theological systems have been built. But when I just sit down with his letter and read it, when I hear his voice, I can feel how deeply personal this all is to Paul. It really matters to him. I don't think he was developing a systematic theology as much as he was trying to make sense of his own experience. Being freed from sin, being given a second chance, new life in Christ, this is Paul's story. He had been utterly captive to his fierce certainty about who God was and how God worked. By his own admission, he had been an angry and violent persecutor of Jesus' followers. But when Christ sought him out, when Christ drew near to him and called him by name in a mystical encounter on the road to Damascus, Paul experienced the power of death and resurrection. He was rescued from the tomb of his sin and given new life and a new identity. One centered not in his own distorted sense of righteousness, but in the mercy of God and the righteousness of Christ. God's grace was the key that unlocked Paul's shackles. He was liberated from his past, free to love and serve God, free to share the good news of God in Christ. You and I are heirs to this good news. This is the gospel that we hear and celebrate each time we gather here for worship, the great good news that we belong to Christ. Our primary identity as individuals and as a community is found in this relationship, a relationship made possible by the unmerited mercy of God. Remembering this helps us make sense of our own experience. We know that our lives are distorted by sin, but we also trust the promise that we are ultimately formed and shaped by the grace and goodness of God. This promise creates freedom for us, Since we belong to Christ, 
We are free to tell the truth about our sin, free to open our hearts to God, because we know that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Since we belong to Christ, we are free to let go of past mistakes and regrets. We are not shackled to them. There may be consequences that we live with, but our sin does not define us. God's grace opens the possibility of a second chance, a new beginning. And since we belong to Christ, we are free to forgive the sins of others, those who have wronged us. This is challenging, I know, but hanging on to sin creates a kind of bondage that God does not want for us. When we're able to forgive, we taste the freedom that God desires for us, the freedom that God has shared with us in Christ. Freedom is the hallmark of new life in Christ. And not only freedom from, but freedom for. Later in Paul's letter, in the 12th chapter, he makes this big pivot to describe what all this Christian freedom is for. We don't read chapter 12 until August 27th, so you don't, you're not going to find out until then. But I'll give you a spoiler. The freedom we have in Christ allows us to use our gifts, our talents, to build up the body of Christ and to love and serve our neighbor. I guess that's not such a big surprise, is it? No longer shackled by sin, we are free to be part of God's plan to heal and mend all of God's creation. We are freed in Christ to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. We sing.